Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. Hi there, my name is Kareem Kanji. This is episode three of Toronto the Podcast. Three. We, it's now official the name, Toronto the Podcast. Toronto the Podcast. Yes. It's official after we grabbed the URL. We, we didn't want to say it before because, well, let's face it, we actually didn't even have So go to torontothepodcast.com. Yeah, and you'll Greg see the website. Greg has designed the website. Yep. <laughs> yes. um, I live in uh, Scarborough, and uh, we have a, a round table today. We do. Try a rectangular round a rec- table. That's right. We have a rectangle today. But there's three of us, so it's really a triangle. There's th- a triangle. Take two. <laughs> math, math is hard. Joining me is my co-host. So it's Greg Tilston here, a resident of East York. Um, excited to have Sarah on with us today to uh, talk about what has just transpired and what's coming up in the fall. Yeah. So over to Sarah. So I'm Sarah Kleimanhaga, and uh, I'm, uh, since we're saying where we're from, I'm a resident of St. Clair and Bathurst and uh, lived in Toronto my whole life, and I'm running for mayor, so I'm excited to be here with you guys. The next mayor of Toronto <laughs> here is in here. Earth Radio. Well, listen, so Jagmeet Singh was in here a year plus ago, uh, and after he came in here, um, he became the leader of the federal NDP party. So good things happen to people that come into studio. I, I, sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff. It's already good. It's already good. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, there was a subtitle to this podcast called Election Hangover, Impact on Toronto. I did you come up with that? Or did no, someone write it, it down? No, it would make sense It makes sense. But no, I don't think I did. No. Um, although I don't know if I wasn't drinking. Um that night, I don't know if other huh. there might have been some people. Like if I take a look at the map of Ontario, I can I can tell you where people were drinking it at hangovers um, the the following day. But so for those to, who, to that point, yes. One one note to that, I actually so went to go to bed, and normally Kelly becomes a election widow, uh-huh. a politics <laughs> widow, <laughs> right? Uh, any night there's an election here, down in the U.S., whatever. And, uh, well, needless to say, I went to bed earlier than I normally do. Okay. She came into the room. I was already in bed. She's like, do you seriously have a small glass of red wine beside you? I said, I am <laughs> drinking until my head hits the pillow. That's what <laughs> I am doing on this election. That's day. right. Nodding off. Oh, yes. I yes, saw, yes, I saw yes. Yes. So, um, Doug Ford is now the premier-elect of the uh, great province of Ontario. And uh, so the PCs have 76 Seats, they won uh, 40.49% of the popular vote. Uh, the NDP had 33.57% of the popular vote with 40 seats. The Liberals had a 19.59% of the popular vote with 7 seats. And the uh, Green Party broke through 4.6% of the popular vote with uh, 1 seat. Uh, and then uh, 1.74% popular vote went to everybody else. Right. Um now, in Toronto, um, we had um, the results were were mixed. Although I think the Liberals won uh, three, one, two, three ridings. They won Don Valley West, I think Don Valley East, East. and out. I think it's um, it Guildwood, Mitzi Hunter. Yeah, yeah, is that Scarborough Guildwood? I think if I go to the map. I'll be able to specifically find out. Yeah, I think it is Guildwood. Yeah, but there were, so there were three liberals. 
seats uh, in uh, Toronto. There was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight uh, PC seats. And there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven NDP seats um, in Toronto. Um, so it wasn't necessarily. So I, I saw a lot of people um, on social media because a um, few people go to the bars these days to talk politics. Right. Everyone is doing on it online. Uh, so it's on Twitter, it's on Facebook, it's everywhere else. Um, saying maybe Toronto should have its own, their own province what? or whatever. Um, and I looked at it and I go, why? Because it was it was mixed. Nobody, you know. NDP won more, but there were just a few less Tory seats right. than there were. Um, and again, it, it comes to my point that people forget about anything north of Bloor. Um, doesn't count as Toronto. Right. Um, you just have to look at Block TO. Or east of, yeah. Everything doesn't count. Yeah. So, no. So, the, Toronto was mixed. Toronto was, was, was definitely uh, mixed there. Um, but is let me ask you guys this is toronto divided well i mean i think well tr i mean on that day th we were divided that way you know the break mm. the breakdown that you pointed out yeah. on a, a day a week before it could have been a different result a week after it could have been a different result six okay. months from now it could be different six months ago it could be different so i think whenever we're talking about how we're divided we do have to remember we're all we're all people and we our opinions vary from day to day and who we're inclined to support changes or the policies we're inclined to support that mm. can also change you know our general values stay a little consistent but i don't think how you voted an election necessarily reflects what kind of human being you are so ah. i i like to think you know we're divided and sometimes in how we vote on a given day but we're not necessarily divided as much as we think we are and i think politics sometimes can really play into those divisions mm. because it's helpful to have an us against them kind of mentality sometimes for you know political campaigns and so i think we play those divisions more than they actually exist greg the core definitely the core of the city downtown hype like you know yep. the places that have uh, the subway <laughs> um it does look like that doesn't it, doesn't it? um they voted um, NDP, while everywhere except those three pockets we talked about earlier voted conservative. Um, are there different issues that people are focused on, right? Because, you know, it, and it's not that everybody in the court voted NDP and then everybody outside right, exactly. voted Tory. Exactly. Um, but, are, you know, are there other factors involved? Like what factors are in play that... that Contribute to more people in certain areas voting a certain Well, I think way. you and I have, have had lively debates about some of the differences between, mm -hmm. you know, Scarborough, North York, Etobicoke versus the core. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had, we've had debates about uh, transit and availability, mm -hmm. you know, between the core. I mean, it's easy to get, relatively easy to get around in the core. You've mentioned it's not so easy to get home at night mm -hmm. when we finish this podcast. Yeah. Sometimes when you take the transit. Um, so I think that's, you know, interesting to see. Um, what I find what I find really interesting, both in the province and in the city, is that we saw a huge number of of people come out to vote, like significant, 
you know, mm-hmm. I think we're 59 percent, 59 I find that to be really interesting. I expected I expected that to have impacted more towards the NDP, and it, what I think happened was we saw a lot more PC supporters show up. I don't know what do you right. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it seemed like a very emotional election, and and that was, you know, what we've seen in the states is a lot of emotions, and so I think if people's emotions are triggered by the messages that are going on, that can, you know, drive them to the to the voter to the ballot box. But I still think 59%, you know, it's it's okay, but it's not a great turnout. And I think that's the other thing when we're talking about divided city or, you know, what people think in the suburbs versus, you know, the core is, well, what do, there's what do voters think? There's what do residents think? You know, a lot mm. of people, mm. there's, you could look at that's different right. areas of Toronto where the voter turnout is very low, even if there's an average, you know, slightly higher rate. So sometimes you're not even getting the, you know, there, there's lots of people in Scarborough who really care about transit. Um, yeah. So you can't say, well, the core cares about transit and the mm-hmm. suburbs care about cars. That's not accurate. Um, it's, it's so I think that there's uh, there there are values and, you know, maybe it's the it's could come down to the individual candidates, too. I'm not sure. There, there's other things at play, I think. One of the things that I know your one of your platforms is engagement, I believe. Yes. Um, getting people more engaged in civil politics. Right. Um, I know you've been involved in um uh, the deposition uh, deposition deputations right. Deputation, yeah <laughs> deposition yeah deposition's very different <laughs> um speaking in front of the budget <laughs> committee right um you know i'm keen to know how you feel we can get people more involved whether that's in having a say or i, I know you you know talk about diversity of our council right and wanting to um improve upon that yeah so. there's so to me there's so many different ways of getting people involved um Number one is is really talking about uh, what city politicians do. So if a lot of people will be like, oh, politics doesn't affect my life. But actually it affects your life from the moment you walk out your door, as particularly city politics. So, you know, just with, to have our, our elected representatives working out there with their community to say, okay, you know, if you want to talk about garbage, if you want to talk about potholes, if you want to talk about transit lights, that's all affected by the decisions that I'm making. So I need to hear from you about Uh those things. So that kind of um, like education and outreach, um, you know, things like being listened to appropriately. So at City Hall, we have this schedule, this um, system where if you want to go and depute and give your opinion on something that the city is voting on, you don't get a time. Uh, you're just a, in a long list. You could have to show up at 930 and you could be there till five or you could be there till three and then your item gets deferred. So how many people have the time to do that? Very few. Um and it's a kind of, uh, to me, it's a little bit disrespectful to the public. So th- mm. that's one thing that you could change is, you know, work with the city to schedule people, even for something as simple as that. But that's already engaged people who are mm-hmm. interested in the deputation. So, you know, I think that people have brought up things like have public meetings with food and childcare. Vary the time of your public meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, public meeting notices. I don't know if you've seen, you know, when a condo is going up yep. or in the newspaper when they're advertising something. And I actually brought it, but, you know, nobody can see it. The fine print on this public meeting is uh, on the notice of a public meeting is is it's a page full of dense text 
-hmm. who is reading that right there there's no way to deter public engagement more than by having a big page of text nobody wants to go to that meeting and nobody even knows what that meeting is about but mm. it actually sometimes is very important why don't we have you know this this condo that was going up is is going up near my house there's a big sign and i passed it and i thought oh i care about what's happening there I don't know, I don't have time, blah, blah, blah. And finally, one day I was close enough to it and I could see meeting notice, you know, whatever date it was, and it had passed. And it was at the smallest fine print at the very bottom of the poster. To me, the only important information on that sign is the date, date of the meeting yeah. and the, the picture of the proposed building. You put that and that and make it an easy place to come, you're going to get a lot of people out. Do you think, do you think that that's not purposely done by both the city whether it's the planners right. and also the developer i mean really do they want people to come out right i don't know yeah i mean i i don't mm. know if it's purposeful if it's to do with legalities you know i'm sure there's some yeah. legal issue of what they but there's there's ways around it if you want the engagement and i think if there is a desire to keep the public away it's a it's a misplaced um desire because for everybody, including the city and the, the developer, if you get good public involvement from the beginning and you work together, you're not going to have the roadblocks later where people are suddenly, oh my gosh, this is a nightmare. We're going to fight it. We're going to rally, blah, blah, blah. If they're there at the beginning, how much smoother could the process be hmm. to have the public involved? That's how you start building community, right? What they've done with Daniel Spectrum right. um, is just phenomenal, uh, what, what they've done to that part um, of the of the city. Um, it was interesting when the um, after the election or at the same time there were these elementary and high school students that did a mock vote. Right. Uh, so 280,000 students part of a program called uh, the 2018 Ontario Student Vote, which was is a program run by Civics, is a national education charity to uh, foster greater civic engagement among youth. Um, they elected the New Democrats. Mm -hmm. Um. Is there, I mean, I don't know. Is, is that something that if you're a Tory, you're, you're scared of, or if you're a progressive that you're excited about? Um, is it meaningless? Is it meaningful? What is, Can I does jump on with anything? one more point to that before yeah, yeah. we start the discussion around it? Um, my wife, Kelly, pointed out to me that when you look at the Ontario map, and I think this is where potentially the conservatives need to be a little concerned, maybe mm -hmm. not. If you look at the map, aside from Peterborough, I believe every university town went orange. Interesting. Think about that. Yeah. Like that's even Oshawa, the schwa. Mm. The schwa went orange. Right. So surrounded by a bunch of blue with Whitby, Ajax, you know, like that whole area was blue except for Oshawa. So when you think of that, okay, mm. so you've got the kids that did the NDP. You've got now the college kids. Well, I shouldn't say it's the college kids, but the college towns. Whether Community. That's, whether it's because of the students. Sure. Because of the professors, because of the families thereof. Yeah, yeah. Not sure, hmm. but you had that happen. So I don't know. I don't know what that speaks to. I think, you, again, looking at sort of the messages of the campaign can provide some insight to me. Uh, what I heard a lot of was um, anti-carbon tax, um, anti-sex ed, and, uh, you know, the gas plants, that like it, corruption and that sort of thing, um, or mismanagement. And to me, I think the youth are less interested in those issues. I mean, everybody cares about fiscal responsibility, of course, but youth, I don't think that's necessarily speaking to them. So uh, if youth are interested in, you know, 
housing and transit and jobs and if they aren't hearing about and and a lot of youth do want to kind of have a more outdoor centered life and work-life balance and they're they're kind of growing up in a different way i think than you Hmm. know people a few generations back so that could be why that they they weren't interested in the conservative message because it wasn't really youth directed one of the the things that stuck out to me i mean it was a very interesting campaign for all the wrong reasons Uh right It, it, it that's what made it interesting um other than that it was a very bland campaign there was there was no vision set up for this is the ontario of buck a, a decade come on now buck a beer <laughs> make diet coke a buck and then, right. then we'll start talking you know make <laughs> make bottled water 25 cents you know and they were talking a buck a beer means whatever it means something to people that drink but other than that you know whether that'll ever happen i don't know it'll be like the skinny plan with rogers right you you get like a, a sip of beer right. for a buck i think that's what it'll be but there was no there was no there was no vision right there yeah. was the, the on uh you know andrea horvath it was a change for the better it was just changed because there was this huge impetus that okay we need to change we need to change we need to change okay then pick me i'm changed for the better there was no vision outlined by her or her party on the liberal side it was i don't know what it was it was just sorry not sorry that was that was their call right right it was hey sorry you don't like me but i'm not sorry that there's all this awesome stuff that's happening in the in in the province um on the tory side it was um uh, enough of uh of, of the crooked people in the liberal party and you don't want those crazy ndpers in power um and let me throw out some stuff and if you don't get angry i'm going to continue to throw out stuff right hey we're going to build on the green belt oh shit people are angry yeah 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 we're not going to right a buck of beer oh yeah people like that okay uh cheaper gas you know that's all it was it was just stuff throwing there was no vision and so it was boring as heck well, and I, I mean, I think the parties, like, I, I think the NDP had some interesting platform offerings and the Liberals, too. I, I think that part of that vision gets obscured by our tendency of really doing so much attacking. And all of the parties were guilty of it. Um, so how can you present your own vision if you're so busy just saying how awful the other party is? And I think that is a that's all, all of them did it that, what, from what I could see. And I think that that is what you know the public then doesn't hear what the true vision of your party is like what how will ontario look for different in four years um, or eight years or 12 years you yeah. know let's let's talk about long term as well and and elections are so short term so mm. i think and you know with the media there's always the pressure to have a sound bite and to say it really quickly and and have it mean something and so it's much easier to say you know a buck of beer or fire them all or whatever it yeah. is uh, than it is to give like a five-minute answer with some detailed policies in there. Here. I wonder if I wonder if the the I wonder if the the desire to just get rid of the liberals though also created this environment of like the public wanted to get rid of the liberals. I mean right. that was that was obvious. Why the liberals didn't get rid of Win before this? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, who would have had the the reason they didn't get rid of her is because they had a game plan to defeat Patrick Brown. They knew what they needed to do. I don't know what it was. But that's the only thing that makes sense is that they knew they could beat Patrick Brown. They had something figured out. Um, maybe all of the stuff that came out before the election was stuff that they were holding on to 
until the writ was dropped. But that's why she stayed on. And when that stuff happened, uh, it was too late to, to call I a... Don't, I don't... Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think... I don't think the Liberals had a chance going into this election. I mean, it, they, they had a run. They had a, what, three... 15-year run. Three, yeah. So four and change terms. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think they had a chance in hell in this election, no matter what, in my opinion. But I still don't understand why they didn't, why they left win in there. But that's, you know, and whether I like her or don't like her, that's not the point. Mm -hmm. The point is, is if you want a fighting chance in this, I, I just, I just, I was miffed. And then... Well, and they then said the conservatives the get Ford in. I mean, if it was if it was Elliot or Mulroney, I honestly believe that yeah. we would have woke up. We as a province would have woke up Friday morning, mm -hmm. um, feeling a lot different about this PC win. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that everybody would have liked the right, PC win, right. mm -hmm. but I think that the the, the more the, comfortable the, with the it. people would have been way more comfortable had it been Elliot or Mulroney. I think. Sure, sure, sure. It's again that might be a Toronto more of a Toronto feeling I'm not sure or it might be everywhere I don't know it's because you know the people the thing is again with people who don't like Ford they really hate him but people who like Ford they really love him so maybe with Christine Elliott or Carolyn Maroney it might have been like a more moderate yeah. sort of feel yeah. from everybody yeah that's so true so here's here here is or was his platform um, reduce gas prices. You missed Buck of Beer. By that 10 was cents. number one. Buck of Beer was number one it's, on his website. It's not, no, this is now the, that website's gone. So oh. I'm going to the OntarioPC.ca website. Uh, so reduce gas prices by 10 cents. Um, they're going to fire a dude from uh, Hydro because he makes too much money. Uh, and apparently by doing that, they'll lower your Hydro bills by 12%. <laughs> okay. um, although my Hydro bill has gone down over the past year. But apparently, I've been told that's just a Toronto thing. Outside of Toronto, it's gone up. But I don't know because I live in Toronto, even though it's Scarborough. Anyways, um, <laughs> he's going to create a message saying Ontario is open for business, so which is good. He's going to put up a sign somewhere. Right. Um, he's going to do a line-by-line -line audit uh, of government spending to figure out if he needs to fire people or not. Um, he's going to create 15,000 new long-term care beds over the next five years. So probably nothing in the first three years. Um, he's going to spend an additional $3.8 billion uh, in new support for mental health, addiction, and housing, just not in his neighborhood. Right? Remember that? He, he, he's all for the kids, well, but yep. not the kids that come out of the yeah. house in his neighborhood, right? Um, so that's, that was... I'm not sure how you feel on this platform. You just, um, you're sort of, you're holding back. Am I holding back? I'm holding back. <laughs> he's, 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 he's not, he's, I don't know, he's just... He's not fit for for this. What what I find interesting is that that some of those things like hospital beds, um, like mental health. Yeah. The irony there is so not lost on everybody, um, in terms of drug addiction and stuff. That's what yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that's. I mean, if you look back to the Harris days, it's very different than what Harris would did and promised with the nurses and right and and health and stuff. Yeah. I just I. I don't know. Well, listen, I, so there is, I can't say any names, but there is a, a, a gentleman that was the um, chief, of, chief of no. staff. Don't say names. Oh, sorry. Chief of staff <laughs> um, oh, for that. Rob Ford, uh, who I've been told is now working with 
Doug Ford, mm-hmm. who um, told my friend, and both of these people are, are people that I know, uh, told my friend, uh, who I was told this weekend, say, yes, there are going to be people that are going to be fired. Um, there will be layoffs. Um, In hydro, just, you mean, or all over? Um, civil servants. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that being said, what Doug has said and what he will do um, are going to be very, very different. There'll be things that he'll do. He'll freeze the minimum wage at $14. Why? Because it, it's it's not doing something. He's not increasing it. So it's easy to not do something. Um, it's easier to, it's easy oh, to, it's an easy commitment. To keep. It's an easy, right. it's, it's, it's easy to fire someone and pay right. millions of dollars in severance. Uh, no, even if it's more or less, uh, because it's an easy thing to do, no matter how much it costs, it'll be easy for him to do that. Um, so that we'll he'll pay for it in the long run. Yeah. Oh, abs- absolutely. Yeah, we're going to be paying for that over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just, not just for the CEO of hydro. But everything you know, else if that we happens. start getting rid of people en masse, we're going to be paying. Oh, yeah, absolutely! Just a long what, what was that? Expensive. What was that town? That uh, is it? Was it Walkerton? Remember that? Um, cuts water, cuts right. of Mike Harris resulted in um, that water crisis that they had in Walkerton. Yeah. Um, no two ways about it. But uh, even like you're saying, the straight out financial costs, <laughs> the actual payout costs uh, yeah. when you fire people, if if you don't have a really solid, solid reason, mm-hmm. are very costly financially. Yeah, yeah. And we've been through this a few times in the province in the past. Like I, I remember, uh, I guess we'd be going back twenty, however many years. I guess it would have been Harris. It would have been with through Harris. Yeah. And, and I mean, when he was just decimating like um, the Ontario public service yeah and, it was and we pay for it in the long run we, we pay for it over time absolutely both in services like you said yeah as well as in right. actual hard costs right. now what this means because this is toronto the podcast what this means for bring it back to toronto, toronto <laughs> is, is going to be very interesting um and we've got four years to, to see what happens uh both uh directly um and as as well as indirectly the response the city has in terms of what they do um you know, so let's let's go through a few things. So I, I guess the first off is, um, can John Tory and Doug Ford work together? So they have they have some history. Um, Tory was shut out for running for mayor because, according to um, Doug and Rob Ford's mom, it was Rob's turn for uh, to run for mayor, and so Tory, it's not your turn. Um, when John Tory wanted to run for mayor earlier on. And then Tory beats Ford in the Toronto election. Um, and now Ford has done something that Tory tried to do, which was win a provincial election. Um, so I'm curious whether these two guys um, are going to be able to get together, get to, to work together. I'm curious about your thoughts. Well, I mean... <laughs> If I'm mayor, I can definitely work with Doug Ford. I'll just say that first since we're All know, right. we are they're talking about the mayor election. But um, can John Tory work with Doug Ford? I, I I think he probably can because they're both conservatively inclined. If, if my view on some of John Tory's votes at city council, I'm not sure how different they are in some ways than um, some of Doug Ford's priorities. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. Um, so... They, uh, to me, the question is not so much can they work together. You know, John Tory's a reasonable person. He's well-spoken. He knows how to, you know, talk to people. I'm sure he can, you know, have a g- 
civil relationship with Doug Ford, absolutely, especially given their, their, you know, they have worked together before. But can they work together in a way that's good for the city? Now, I, I'm that I am not as sure on, um, especially when we're talking about the transit file, where to me they're both fans of transit mega projects and not so much into um, funding operational needs of, you know, subways, streetcars, this sort of thing that affects a, a huge amount of people in Toronto. Um, and, and so to me, John Tory has not done all he could to be a real advocate and, and um, really benefit the TTC in the day to day. So I'm not sure that, you know, on transit, will, will it be great for the city their you know their relationship or not i don't know but um certainly uh, you know i would hope that mayor tory can work with with doug ford whoever's whoever is the mayor whoever's on even on council we have to work with doug ford i mean mm -hmm. he's he's yep. the premier he's mm -hmm. he's been elected it's a democracy that's what's happened so you know we do need to be able to do it and i i think staying away from hyperbole as much as possible and and staying away from the division um you know focus on what we can agree on focus on what areas we might be able to work together on is is going to be the key i think i think a saving i'd like to think a saving grace will also be that doug ford is from toronto hmm. I, I wonder what the difference would be if 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 doug ford wasn't um I, I hope, hmm. I hope that that means he has a vested interest in working with Tory or whomever is mayor next year. Right. Um, because, again, because he's from Toronto. So. Yeah. And, and Toronto is so economically important to Ontario and yeah. to Canada. So I think we have to keep talking about that as well. But again, not in a, any sort of Toronto versus the rest of the world way, because that's not going to work because the rest of the world is not yeah. going to be on Toronto's side. Um, so, uh, or, you know, that, that's not an attitude that served the city, I don't think. Um, yeah, so. So you're saying the Raptors have to change their... <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Um, Sarah, I want to ask you a question. So, um, Doug Ford, um, or that guy who works for the Toronto Sun, his name escapes me, wrote a book, 2016, called Ford Nation. And so this is what was in the book. If I ever get to the provincial level of politics, municipal affairs is the first thing I would want to change. I think mayors across the province deserve stronger powers. One person in charge, veto power similar to the strong mayoral systems, uh, New York, Chicago, LA. Um, so I'm asking you as a as someone who's running for the office of the mayor of Toronto, um, your thoughts on the system we have today where it's it's a council and the most votes wins sort of thing right and and the power that the mayor has you know to appoint um you know people to to certain um, portfolios committees, yeah. committees um and to really set the agenda right um versus what doug ford has written uh, in terms of what his preference would be um to have a you know so if you're a mayor you, you've got those strong powers to to veto and to really quote unquote, do what you want. Right. Um, your thoughts. I think that uh, it's better the system we have than to move to a strong mayor system. Because a strong mayor system, 
for the people who like the mayor that was elected. And again, our democracy is not inclusive enough still. We, it's still a minority of people who elect the leader. So mm. um, the people who elect the leader, if they like that leader, sure, then they'll all want that leader to have strong powers and everybody else will not. And then the power can change and now it's a new leader who's completely on the other side of the political spectrum. And now that side says, oh yeah, strong mayor is good. And the other side says, oh no, no, strong mayor is not good. So I think we need strong mayor to me. I mean, I, I'm open to you know hearing more evidence about how other cities have, have found it. But to me, in Toronto, our, our problem is not that the mayors have been trying to get things done and council hasn't let them. Um, we have we have a council, we have a mayor and that that do work together. And often what the mayor supports is what council votes for. So I think if you have a good mayor that is good at communication, that's good at collaboration and that's proposing good ideas, mm. um, there's no reason why a council wouldn't adopt that. So to have that v ability to ram things through, the other danger of, of being a strong mayor who can veto or you know propose and dispose or whatever, is that four years later a new strong mayor comes to town and erases everything that the previous strong mayor does. So, you uh -huh. you know these kinds of swings back and forth. I think that's a danger of a strong mayor system. And I really do believe a. A mayor also who's very, you know, who governs openly, who the people respect and mm -hmm. support, that sends a message to their council as well. Well, you know, this is what the people want, and so let's do this together for our residents, rather than, again, needing that iron fist. Um, you talked about transit. Let's talk about transit in, in, the, in the city of Toronto. Right. Um, so currently where the city is finishing, or the TTC is finishing the... Eglinton Crosstown, I right. think is Finishing. the, aren't they? Well, it'll or they're be continuing. A little... Sorry, they're continuing. They're continuing to uh, to to build. When when stuff is in the ground and traffic gets disrupted, okay, this is stuff that's going on. Yes. So what you're suggesting right. is that when Eglinton opened up between Laird and Leslie, yeah. all of a sudden we were done. No, all of a sudden this shit's getting done, so <laughs> we're not talking about anything anymore. The right? important part is like not... stuff is happening. Right. Yeah. You know, when you when you when you when you uh, dig into the ground as much as they have, um, and you've got those million dollar things yeah. down under. It's like, okay, stuff's happening. You're not right. going to fill up this hole because yeah. that's an expensive hole. Well, they have filled hole. up holes before, but yeah, this one, they I have. think you're right, won't, that is won't true. be filled up. So there's that that's being built. I think that's the only, is that the only thing that's being built? We, we just it's recently finished. It's actually built right now. Yeah, we're just, we, we recently finished and opened up a few more stations north of Finch. Is it north of Finch? North no, of, on the uh, other side. St. Clair West, yeah, uh, Eglinton to, uh, West, Bond. down York University of Yeah, Bond, all the way right up there. So we, up we, just, we, we just, just opened that in 20... 17. I've heard some challenges around. And I've heard there's some challenges around that. I don't know. I I, I don't ride it. So I think I don't there's know. some challenges with accessibility at some of the yeah. stations. There's also now, <laughs> there's there there's getting uh, overload from yeah. stations as well. Well, because yeah, you're bringing down. more people, feeding yeah. them into yeah. the into same the line. existing overload. Right. I've line. even heard. I've yeah. even heard from. Remember Nicole, who worked with. Yeah, yeah. worked with me and works with me still. Um, she was saying that one of the challenges is they go to the station up there and, and the train just doesn't arrive. Uh huh. She said it's just not arriving. I don't know. I right. don't know if that's a scheduling. I don't know what, what the challenges are. Right. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to hijack what you're No, no, no. That's okay. So, interestingly enough, Doug wants to expand all this stuff, um, which which I, I guess is a good thing, right? Uh, Shepherd Loop with Scarborough. I don't know what that means. But there's going to be a shepherd loop. Would that be the continuation of the shepherd subway over to Scarborough yeah, Town? I'm not sure. I, I I'm I not sure exactly how far it goes that proposed plan. But it's yeah. the thing about the 
you know, whatever you're, we're going to rhyme off is yeah. even the Scarborough subway, which we've been talking about for a long time, <laughs> is still not at, at best. It's a, a forecast like 2026, something like that. Yes, yes. So these as much as we would all love to have, you know, people talk about the London subway, you know, tube network and other cities, as much as we would love to have that, either we can, you know, spend a hundred billion dollars and shut our city down for five years and do it all and then we have it then we have that or it's going to take a hugely long time to do that kind of a system we just we want to have those systems but practically it's so far in the future and we you know we have we have serious transit issues right now so we can't wait for however many you know even even the best case scenario of, of when it, any of these will be done is is so far down the line and i think unfortunately again it would be one thing if we were doing that while we were making our existing system as good as possible our surface system um but we're sort of to me we're just talking about the long long term and not necessarily always choosing the plans that are based on evidence that are the good interesting as far as far as it is in the future i also believe it was a mistake that we made way in the past but that's we've, right we've discussed that before yeah. where I, I firmly believe we had the opportunity to have built the right system at a certain point right and now we're not and i know you've you're, you're a big proponent of um uh increasing services to increase ridership like how do you think we how, how do we do that how do we how do like like the amount of times that i tweet about the 56 right and how pissed off i am because right. it never shows up right and and i'm i'm like 2.6 kilometers right. so i love it when summer comes because then i bike right but in the winter it's an insane 2.6 kilometers right like how, how do we do that how do we well i mean we have to give transit priority on our streets that's this that's the uncomfortable truth that more other cities are embracing cars. and giving them priorities yeah, yeah. like mm. i was on the dufferin bus to get here and then i took the king street car and the dufferin bus is sitting in traffic the whole way and then the king street car is going Let's through it oh like priority line priority lines lanes. when you have priority lanes um you don't need as many buses i mean we need more buses we need more street cars but again given the issues with bombardier like even even that those purchases that we need to do are going to take time so what can we do now to make our service better and that's what something we listen can do when now. when the pan am games were here there were priority lanes right for cars that had certain amount of people and stuff like that that was fine i seriously thought before that happened there's going to be chaos in the city it was fine what was fine when we had priority lanes on highways i don't know if they had it on streets but you know the don the, the dvp 404 um and the 401 had priority lanes so if you were a bus um, or if you uh, had a special Pan Am license, I get, yeah. you know, f- fairing athletes. Yeah, between right. like Oshawa, yeah. KW, right. up north, yeah. and back down. Or yeah. if you had, and, and through the city of Toronto, right? Yeah. Um, or if you had a certain amount of people in your car. Right. Then you're able to use those lanes. Um, and it was fine. Yeah. There was no problem. And listen, I, you know, I, I, I drove here today. Um, you know, through the intersection of... I'd like to say that I didn't, so I took the transit. Of Eglinton. <laughs> drove. I just want that for the record right now. I live Sorry, further than you. Um, where did I, uh, Eglinton and Mount Pleasant, right? So there, that intersection is, is being dug up right. as well. Um, and I'm fine with it because I know what's happening. You know, they're, they're building transit. Now, this is very interesting. So a couple of things. Let me finish off with this Doug, Doug Ford transit thing. So yes, yeah, Scarborough Loop... Relief line, young extension, uh, crosstown expansions underground. Fine. Let's say let's just agree that that's a, it's a quote unquote good thing. We can argue above ground, below ground. 
fine. Interestingly, he wants to upload the responsibility of the infrastructure to the province. I kind of think that's a good thing. Because I think the the city, whether we agree with one stop or three stops to Scarborough, I think the city has messed it up. And if we take a look at the city as the kids and the province as the adults, maybe that's a good thing. What do you guys think? Are you talking about infrastructure build or are you talking about so just his, managing day to day? Because those are two no very uploading responsibility for the infra infrastructure building, maintaining new and existing subway lines goes from the from Toronto to the province. The city though keeps the day to day operations. I to me this kind of thing is. I mean, Doug Ford was just saying how much Kathleen Wynne screwed up the whole province, right? So on the one hand, we're saying the province is going to do a better job than the city. But then on the other hand, we turn around and say, oh, the province is screwing everything up. Like, it's it's kind of, mm. to me, I don't know that the city is not doing a good job. I think that there's a lot of political... Uh, it's it's politics that interfere. And politics exist whether you're a city government, whether you're a provincial government, whether you're a federal government. As long as we aren't being guided by evidence, then politics gets in the way. So I'm worried, <clears throat> frankly, that the province is even farther from the needs of, you know, I love the province taking over financial responsibility. I mean, it's a huge um, expense that Toronto shouldn't have to bear on its own. And other cities around the world, they have huge um, investment from provincial and federal government. So for sure, financial support. And so the infrastructure, will the province be able to do a better job than the city? I, I'm not convinced that they would, but I'm, you know, certainly interested in discussing it. So here's why I think they would. And I agree with you in terms of politics is politics, whether it's provincial, municipal, federal, wherever. Um, so a few years ago, I was in Taipei, Taiwan, and they have an amazing, what I consider, a really great transit system. So Taipei, give or take, is, is a very similar size uh, of, of Toronto. And they have a mass transit system, uh, specifically subway system. Um, and I was asking, uh, you know, uh, my, my guide there, and I asked her, and I said, okay, so this got built in, in, in you know, if we compare it to Toronto, a very short amount of time. And so I say, what happens if there's different mayors? It goes, it's, it's the law. And so what I'm really interested in is... Can the pro because Toronto has bylaws, but they're very limited in what they can um, enforce. Can the province enact laws to say this is the decision, this is what's happening, it's actually the law that we must do A, B, and C in terms of transit? So, no matter who the next mayor is, no matter who the next premier is, um, it's like healthcare, you don't touch it. Right? It, you know, I, it just kind of depends on, like, one thing about the Scarborough um, subway situation that people talk about, and, and they act like uh, it's been all screwed up because the city's, you know, back and forth all the time. The city's never back, like, John Tory and the council have voted every single time in favor of Scarborough subway, even though a lot of people don't support it and a lot of, a lot of evidence sure. challenges that. So there's not been a delay 
in the Scarborough subway due to politics. I mean, there's been a delay at the beginning because it was such an upheaval. Like what's been delayed is the LRT projects. They were set to go, you know, so the province had been in charge of say transit city. We'd have, we'd have LRTs through, we'd have that map right now. now. We'd have that map everywhere. Three mayors. So, um, you know, okay. Should we have had it in that stage? Then it would have been better. But again, once you come back to, uh, okay, but now should we have the province in charge of building the Scarborough subway come hell or high water? Will that be the best thing for um, the city? Will that best be the best thing for the TTC? Will that be the best long-term decision? Again, that's a political decision. So, op- so to me, it's not, it's not the laws that stop it from being happened. I'd be interested in knowing more about you know why Tepe succeeds and why you know why what the difference is with even their state government compared to our provincial government because there are probably differences in how mm. they go along with it too yeah um, i wanted to dovetail off of the, the discussion we're having around uh around uh vehicles right in the city and transit and i know one of your platforms is mobility right um you know it, unfortunately we had another cyclist who was in an accident today I don't know if you heard Cra- it. Crash, you say, not accident. I'm trying to uh, encourage people to say crash, not accident. Yeah, and unfortunately she didn't make it. So No, I, 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 I biked right by there on my way home, and it was yeah, yeah shut. Um, so, you know, thoughts with the family and yes, everybody impacted by absolutely. that, obviously. So, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of cycling instead right. of driving as I stare across the desk. <laughs> Uh, no, joking aside, um, a huge fan of cycling. Right. Um, you know, love to walk. Love right. to do a lot of walking. Right. Um, what What can we do in the city to improve cycling and and walking accessibility? Right. I'm keen to know what you you would like to right. look towards. And and I first I'll just say I know you were just joking with Kareem, but I think that there is an idea in the city that you know, cyclists are this and drivers are this. And, you know, there's a kind of a war between the two of them. And uh, I think most, many people are drivers and cyclists and transit users and walkers. So that's the first thing we have to remember is that even, even if it's just to get out of your car and cross the street, it matters to you whether you're going to make it across the street alive or not. So the first thing we have to do is really talk about it's about people and it's also about future cyclists like we talk about protecting cyclists and the people who are cycling now are people who kind of feel comfortable on the roads but there are i'm sure you all know Mm -hmm. a huge number of people who say i'd love to cycle but forget it tomorrow's way too dangerous so many people say to me i don't know i don't know how you can cycle exactly particularly friends that don't live in the core that are like Yep. bombing it like I, I do. Cannot, right. I cannot cycle to work. I, it's literally one street, York Mills. Right. There's no way I am cycling on the street. Right. In the morning or back to work. No right. way. Not because I don't know how to cycle, not because I'm afraid of the hills, but because there's <laughs> way too many cars right. driving way too fast. Right. So I think that's something we have to recognize is there are a lot of people who would love to cycle who don't because it's not safe. So if we can say, that, okay, our goal is to recognize that population of all our people that we need to get them safe. So what do we do to make our streets safe? I mean, we have to look at all the ways we 
um, give priority to cars. And so one of the ways is at an intersection, anytime you cross the street, it's often designed so that you can turn right really quickly mm-hmm. to maximize the flow of traffic. And again, we have to start thinking about maximizing the flow of people, not of car traffic, because there's so many people who are in this city. We, Even if we wanted to just give priority to the car, we couldn't. So you're seeing it more and more downtown where you've got a crowd of people crammed onto the sidewalk corner waiting for their chance to, to cross. So having more pedestrian scramble intersections much safer to cross the street during Mm -hmm. a scramble having better right turns um you know designing the the actual corners differently narrowing the streets where it's possible there was a big vote on narrowing young street between finch and uh, shepherd go for it everybody was recommend not everybody many people (laughs) were recommending that including the local councillor the mayor and council voted to defer it, but they were not supportive at all, and the no. mayor said he was not just supportive. So that's a perfect example where suddenly you would have had a much safer street. And we've and why aren't we supporting? That's just an automatic thing we should be doing. This. Do, do we need to? Do we need to? look at what we have in place today. And the reason I say that is, even though we have bike lanes in place, the crashes. That would, yeah, because uh, an accident a high of, impo- of the crashes. Yeah, yeah, a high percentage of the crashes that have involved cyclists lately right. have been in bike lanes. Absolutely, and I mean, in the great weather, and the more crowded our transit system yeah. gets, and the more people we have, and the more people want to cycle, we are getting more cyclists on our road despite our lack of infrastructure. Yeah. So there are more on the bike lanes, and then the, the opportunities for collision. So yeah, I mean, my son was hit by a car, and fortunately Ooh. he was totally fine. He's 15. He just had a dented um, pedal. The driver was at fault, and the driver admitted that. Everybody else, you know, everybody did, but it was on Davenport on a bike lane and the driver was turning right so we have to look at yes we have to look at our existing infrastructure you know and and our new bike lanes should always be to a much higher standard and we need to retrofit our old bike lanes as well what i love that you brought up last time or maybe two times ago was the notion of having the having the bike lanes inside the park cars not out didn't you bring that up yeah uh, yeah, so they've they've done this in in cities around the world where You've got car parking uh, in between where the cars are, you know, where the, where the, the lanes are. Right. Uh, and then on the other side of the car is you've got bike lanes and walkways. Right. So the cars act as a barrier, as a barrier. to traffic. Right. To protect the people. Right. You know, who are not taking right. cars, who are who are riding their bike or walking. Right. Um you know, it, I think it's it's a great design, and I mean, people have some issues with it, but on the whole, it's safer than without. The other thing I've been in Czech Republic in Prague, the cars are parked, but they're parked facing the the cyclists, so the cyclists are going the opposite direction of the parked car. Huh. So you're never going to get a door in your in your face in the in the bike lane yeah. because they can see you. Um, so you know, there's there's things like that that we can do. The other thing that we have to do is remember, it's not just about bikes; it's about people in wheelchairs and so some streets we don't necessarily have to have a bike i'm not saying we have to have a bike lane on every street i'm saying every street has to be safe so sometimes if you have a fast moving corridor and you want to have a a minimum grid which i think we should so that you can cycle from scarborough um you know we need a few really good solid protected commuter highways
highways like they have in other, you know, cycle yep. highways. But then for other streets downtown where people are, there's a lot more pedestrians and sidewalk patios and that sort of thing. You could have a, you, you narrow your street, you have, you know, more street life, you use other measures to keep the speed down. And then it's de facto safe for cyclists. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're kind of sharing the space. Absolutely. Um, so I think it doesn't always necessarily have to be a bike lane, but it always has to be a street where the speed is safe and not not going and, and designed for a safe speed not just enforced or what do you think of the uh, the king street streetcar yeah pilot? i think this king street pilot is the right direction to be going and it, it's one thing that i do congratulate the mayor for doing um i think it was launched at the wrong time absolutely and i think most people would agree with that to launch it in, in the november or you know in the, just before the winter even though it, it, the data to me does not show that the King Street pilot was at fault for the decline in business. It's it's optically no, some it of those restaurants like are just because you've right? already got a drop in yeah the, the drop in people uh, yeah. accompanies yeah. your launch of your pilot. So yeah. that's one thing that was done to me not well. Another thing is I think really to offer it to business as like we're going to do this and it's going to be great for you. So how do we make it great for you? Like what are the things we need to do for you? We are because you want a street with vibrant businesses. You don't want them all to board up. And so when I talk when people are like it's business versus safety or whatever, I again I feel like no, no, it's not like that because I bike, you know, on Bourke Street, but I love fresh restaurants. So when fresh restaurant and the bike lanes were fighting, I felt like this is the wrong thing because I want to go to the restaurant and I want to have a safe street mm-hmm. um but i think king street pilot it, you know the data shows that it's moving a lot more people and that's sort of the reason to have it was sure. to move people more conveniently more quickly more um and that business uh is not negatively affected by the uh pilot in general i mean i know there are a few businesses who are very vocal and who have continued to be very vocal and mm-hmm. perhaps they're right uh, they you know I, i'm not the owner they might be right but we have to look at public good and public projects and then talk to the businesses about, okay, well, what can we do if you're suffering? You know, what are the things the city can do yeah. besides not Which having a functioning street? Right. Yeah, maybe they just need better chefs. That's better food, <laughs> I'm wow. thinking. Wow. I don't know. That's harsh. There was a, there's a King Street Eats project that um, someone named Kevin Vuong started that I thought was terrific. And he just would get people to go once a week or every so often to a different yeah. King Street restaurant to say, you know, we again, we love the pilot and we love the businesses. So let's support them. Can we, can we do a better job of of policing the cars, though, on this? T- like, is, is there I, I just it, it just drives me nuts right. when I see the people just not really disobeying caring. it disobeying it. just they really don't care and and to have to have you know four mounted police at portland and king right uh, really right uh, yeah and, and the other thing is i was talking to somebody about this who, who drives through the area and she was saying it just it makes people so so angry to get these tickets right and they're 300 tickets and you know tourists getting tickets so i think anytime you have a high degree of non-compliance to a particular law you got to look at your your law and your design and so for the king yeah. street pilot it's you know sure we could have 24-hour monitoring of it but maybe there's a few design changes one of the things that i would like to see is the 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 lights are green and a green arrow now isn't there some way you could have the light be red and a green arrow because that tells the cars 
oh, I'm not supposed to go through. It's never turning green for me. The only option I have is to turn. Oh, interesting. Right. Absolutely. Know, yeah. like that. Then there's no confusion. Because otherwise, if I'm in my car and I oh, see yeah. it's green, I'm like, okay, Doing, I guess yeah. I can go. I don't know how to fit next to the streetcar on the barricade, but it says green. Like that's the most, that's the language we're telling them. And then a block later, we're t- giving them a ticket for 300 bucks. So why not change our language a I little like more? I like that. Yeah. That seems too Check simple. mark for Sarah. <laughs> seems too simple. It's no, it's 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 that it is communicating with with the people at like Google and Waze to yes, say right. people, you know, the, Don't the show street this now. Route. There's no cars allowed on it. It's not that right. cars are moving slow. Cars are not allowed on there. Right. So, you know... It, does, a, does Waze and Google still send you down? I don't know. I don't know. That I don't know. Huh. Right? Um, where we are right now is just outside of that no car yeah. zone. Right. Right? So, um, I don't know whether, whether or not uh, it, it does that. But things like that, you know, changing the lights so that it is obvious whether you're visiting or whether you're like me and don't drive downtown often... Right. To, to know, you know, where am I allowed to and not allowed right. to And there's a few go. physical changes you could probably make to the street, again, in consultation with fire and, you know, everybody that you need yeah. to consult with to, again, make it really a deterrent to break the law, a physical deterrent, not mm-hmm. just to have it about be about police. Yeah. So let's, let's move on from transit because we could probably talk about transit all day long. Right. And, and I think we will one episode. We'll just talk about transit. Um, but housing, you know, housing... Toronto is um, very expensive, uh, probably the second most expensive place in Canada to live right. outside of Vancouver. Um, so there's that aspect. There is the aspect of social housing. Um, there are more uh, people, uh, transients, people homeless right. um, that don't have a place to go. Right. Um, what, what do we as a city... Uh, because whether we like it or not, it's the city's responsibility. What do we need to do as a city to ensure that people have a roof over their head, whether it's hot, whether it's cold, doesn't matter. Right. What do we need to do? Yeah, it's it's a huge issue. And so we have to, you know, there's so many different steps that we have to take. And it can, first of all, we have to agree that it's a priority and that it's a human right. And we kind of treat housing like it's a commodity right now. And in Toronto, it's it's too scarce to do that. It can't be a game or or just about you know speculation or making money. It has to be okay. It's a it's a human right. We have to house people. So to me, it's everything from, you know, we're, we're basically I see it as we're paying for the fact that people aren't aren't housed. It's so expensive to have a homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. Uh, our hospital bills are really expensive. Jails are expensive. Having people live in the parks is expensive. I mean, we're paying for it in other ways. So we have to say, okay, I'd rather pay for it in actually providing housing and providing services. That's how we should pay directly the cost of what, it, you know, of housing people. So we have to do everything from actually investing in repairing, you know, tr- social housing. There's 100,000 people on the wait list for social housing which essentially mean is means you can't get social housing. I mean that's basically you can't have a waiting list that's you know a decade long. Yeah. That, yeah. That's not that's not an it's, actual yeah. real thing. It means you're not providing social housing. So we have to commit to actually providing social housing. Um, we have to, c- you know, work with developers. Developers are the ones who are building um, housing in this city in a large part, and we need to work with them so that they're meeting our goals and not against them. So people are often unhappy about giant towers going up everywhere. There's some places where, you know, maybe it makes sense to have a moderate tower and other areas where we could be 
you know, there's a lot of barriers to building them. The missing middle that we talk about, five, six, mm. seven story buildings along King Street, along St. Clair, along all sorts of streets. Why isn't it happening? Let's remove those barriers and make it happen and work with the private sector when we need to. Um, so we, we need to actually build housing ourselves. We need to encourage developers to build the kind of housing and affordable housing, have the right you know requirements for genuinely affordable housing. Mm. And then we have to look at the other, the quieter end of the spectrum, which is zoning changes to allow laneway housing, you know, allow a that. lot more laneway housing. A I'm a big proponent of laneway housing, secondary suites. Um, you know, allowing neighborhoods to have more housing in in a in a in a news. I don't know if you saw these f four or five guys teamed up and got a beautiful luxury mansion and are renting it in Forest Hill because they couldn't afford four or five individual places. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty. You're, there's not a lot of places where you can do that. But that was a way of getting great housing for these guys and affordable. <laughs> there's someone's phone. I don't know who it is. But anyways. Um, so I think, you know, there is there has to be gentle intensification mm -hmm. of our existing neighborhoods. There has to be the missing middle that goes. And then when, when appropriate, you know, like on top of a transit station, for instance, then you have, you know, your towers of reasonable mm -hmm. uh, reasonable height. What, um, what uh, when we talk about laneway housing, like what, what segment is that? satisfying I mean, I mean again I'm, right i think it's an amazing idea right. I know other cities have implemented it right well. i think it satisfies um well f there's one benefit of laneway housing no matter how many people it houses is it makes the laneways more uh, safer sure vibrant beautiful yep. so it already accomplishes a great goal for toronto just by that um then i think it helps homeowners who want to you know as as Tr as prices escalate <laughs> you know it's a way of being able to um maintain afford that million and a half yeah to to to, to afford <laughs> to afford your home it's also good for students and for parents yeah. um and for people who want to age in place if they don't want to have a giant home but they don't want to leave toronto if they can move into their laneway house and you know rent out their three bedroom four bedroom place so i think it offers um a solution for people who are already in homes but yeah. it also offers solutions for say students or people who you know want a, are willing to be in a small place and mm -hmm. have affordable rent hmm. But yeah, it's a small segment. It's but it could. There are a lot of laneways in Toronto. It has the potential if we embraced it as a as one of our housing solutions. It it has potential for sure. Nice. What what do we uh, you know another sort of costly line item for a lot of residents is childcare. Right. Um, you know when mom or dad go back to work after a year, um, they might not have the family infrastructure there that maybe I have, you know, to go and take my son or, right. you know, to, to mom's house right. for, you know, to be looked after or, um, what, what do we need to do, um, to ensure that parents can go back to work, that they have affordable and safe right. childcare in the city of Toronto? I think, yeah, again, it's one of those areas where we have a, a range of things that we need to do. Some of it can be, you know, requiring developers in areas that need childcare to provide childcare in the condo, for instance, mm -hmm. um, it can be making, you know, there was that cabbage town thing where the cabbage town home wanted to have childcare and then some people in the neighborhood effectively shut it down. Um, so that shouldn't be happening in our city. When you need childcare, you, you need it. So that that's an area that's as kind of a zoning area. Then there's actually providing the funding so that it's affordable and 
um, looking at what else I think childcare advocates of the city would be able to say better than I what the city needs to do. But I think that the city isn't, as you say, childcare is a huge issue, mm -hmm. not only affordability, which is gigantic, but availability as well. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people even have the money, but they can't get the high quality licensed day daycare that they want. And the other thing I was talking to a couple of women on the bus and they were saying, they had been waiting for a long time. They finally did get something, but it's kind of at the other end of the city. So it's really not convenient for them to have to go far. So we also need to be making sure the child care is located where the children are too, mm -hmm. not, not uh, mm -hmm. just some random place. Anything else, Greg? Um, I guess just the last thing I want to touch on was m around the environment. Right. Um, and, you know, how, you know, one of your things is about getting people included and in part of... Um, uh, incorporated into all aspects right um what how do how do you see that changing whether it's in toronto ontario or how do we i think we just have to stop talking about environment as a separate thing and so you see on my website i, I do have it you know i have five sort of yep. areas and environment is one but mm -hmm. in it i'm saying we really just have to integrate environment into everything everybody cares about the environment not everybody agrees on a carbon tax for instance but everybody mm -hmm. believes that th everybody wants a clean clean air everybody wants drinkable water mm -hmm. everybody wants to be able to swim in the lake for instance so there's um there's a huge uh, desire from everyone for environmental quality and so we just have to recognize that and so incorporate it into all our decisions and so when it comes to transit versus personal car versus you know cycling again what do we get what do we want more of in this city we want less pollution, so we want um, more people, so we want healthier people. So let's make sure our transportation policy reflects the needs of the environment as well. Hmm. Um, housing, let's make sure our housing is built to environmental standards and let's encourage things like green roofs or you know, tree. let's make sure our tree planting and our tree operate, op, uh, maintenance budgets are high enough. Let's like make sure we're putting parks all over the city so we get that green space that benefits uh, lowest income people in our city. So it's really about just anytime we're talking about anything, making sure the environment which translate in, into the health of people is part of our decision. And so, you know, one of the th bugaboos for me, but actually is for other people is road salt. That's just one example of a city. Um, I saw you share something service. on Instagram about dogs. Yeah. Like I, and, and I, so I, this person said to me, Oh, oh I know it's right, probably yeah. uh, kind of not that important, but it kind of hurts my dog's feet when in the winter I can't take it out to go for a walk. And I think, that's that's valid actually that how many dog owners do we have in the city and if dogs can't walk wh wh where are they going and that, that's if it's the canary in the coal mine if it's bad for an animal how is it not bad for people but you know more uh, larger scale than that was the news this uh, winter that our streams were becoming as salty as the ocean and that's just like ridiculous we're poisoning our fresh water because mm -hmm. uh, of overuse of salt so you know there's, there's things like that where we're look we need to remember okay well, how is this affecting our quality of life and our health yeah let me let me end it off this way 10 cent reduction in your price of gas is going to mean more cars on the street because more, more people are going to drive more often people are going to take less transit and because of more cars on the road there'll be no um, no desire to interrupt that with more bike lanes or safer driving patterns in the city and there'll be more salt on the streets. So for everyone who voted for 10 cents <laughs> off gas, <laughs> you just voted to sit in traffic longer. So good on you. <laughs> 
Sarah, just um, before we end off, where can people learn more about you? Um, www.sarahformayor.to. That's Wait, my website. But the best place, if you want to have an ongoing sense of what I'm saying and what I believe is yeah. also on Twitter, at um, Sarah for Mayor TO is a really great place to see what I'm saying every day. Um, but my website gives you a little outline of the issues we discussed today. Very quickly, why why are you are you running for mayor? Um, because I love Toronto. I see things in Toronto that I don't like that are moving away from our livability. And uh, I, I see the votes at city council, which have been um, against measures like uh, more bike infrastructure in the city and uh, you know safer roads. Um, I don't see the changes happening at city hall that I think are really necessary. I see the arguments we have over budget, even though at the same time we're talking about spending billions on uh, the Scarborough subway. I feel like you know the priorities of the city council are not the same as my priorities and they're not the same as a lot of residents priorities so i felt like uh, i'd like to represent that and and offer that to the people of toronto awesome thank you so much yes thank, thank you for joining you. us thanks for having yeah. me today uh you can find out more about all of us so uh, on twitter at kareem kanji um and until uh, greg gets that awesome website running you can uh find uh, this episode <laughs> as well as uh, two others that we've done um, on uh, kareemkanji.com so, coming soon to torontothepodcast.com Toronto yeah, absolutely the podcast, good name and Greg where can people find out or follow you or whatever uh, at Greg Tilston <laughs> yeah two G's three G's three G's in, in Greg. Um, mm-hmm. but if you go to two G's you'll see me and I'll be pointing to where you can find me at three G's <laughs> uh, and gregtilston.com and remember, come when's when's the election? October. October twenty second. October twenty second. Vote for Sarah, and Climenhaga. Uh, Look for the Climenhaga, and then the Sarah in the smaller letters. There you go, and uh, they can find it more at Sarah for Mayor To. Sarah for Mayor or Sarah for Mayor To on Twitter, right? Thank you.